We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And to me, this season was always going to be a journey of a thousand steps and kind of like mining, like mining for gold. You're sifting through dirt and this, you ain't got nothing here, you ain't got nothing there, but you, you find a little gold fleck here and there. And so today's episode, I thought that... This weekend, I was encouraged by a couple of things that happened this weekend. And we're going to need, again, a thousand of those things to happen to end up at a, an NBA championship. But I'm encouraged coming out of that weekend, both the Cleveland game and the Houston game, for different reasons. Darius, last time we recorded, you were very irritated with the team after blowing a 26-point lead in Oklahoma City to a really bad team. We're still playing bad teams, and that has to be the background and context of all of that. But as a team that's getting its legs underneath it, I saw a couple things I liked this weekend. I'm curious what you saw on that front. So I think it's good to... Pivot to me within the context of how irritated I was after the last game, because the thing I was irritated most about, I think, was the sort of defensive identity and the defensive commitment of the team. Or lack thereof, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, the fact that it was not there. And um, I still wonder how this team is going to defend consistently if they have to play non-defenders. And Vogel... I think to his credit and to the credit of the players who continued to be in the rotation, like Vogel said, yeah, you know what? I'm maybe not going to play the guys who don't defend as much, right? And I'm going to not play groupings that have multiple of those players at the same time, especially. It's one thing to say I'm going to play Carmelo Anthony, and Carmelo's been playing great offensively. It's another thing to say... I'm going to play Carmelo Anthony and Rajon Rondo and Malik Monk. And maybe two or all three of those guys are going to be in a lineup at the same time. Now, to be fair to Vogel, some of that was just injury-related stuff with, with LeBron out. But 
if you're asking me where I might be encouraged or where my headspace is now, it's that there's been a little bit of a meeting of the minds amongst both the players and the head coach around what it's going to take defensively. And we've seen more of that. We haven't seen it for the entire game, but we've seen more of that commitment to what is needed from them. And that's been encouraging. One of the reasons that we always have these discussions about what's going on in the rest of the league and certainly the rest of the Western Conference is to contextualize all this. So if there were some juggernaut team, then I would have some real concerns about the roster, about, you know, hey, what what's going to happen? How are they going to actually find the right personnel? But when I look around and I see, okay, Utah and Golden State, they're both good, but they're five and one. Are those teams that I think, man, I don't know, you see see them in a playoff series, there's no way the Lakers can counter that unless they add something. And and I don't. And so therefore, it's not so much the record at four and three, or the fact that it took a while to get to some of the better lineups or none of that stuff is has been enough of a red flag for me to really push me off of the preseason position which is they will eventually figure out how to play together they will eventually figure out what their best lineups are and what their best rotations are and i do think that it was encouraging that they decided before they found out that dwight howard wasn't going to play that they were going to go and do and, and test the small lineup and in part because they were watching the film of how that lineup played well together, especially down the stretch of some games and and notably in the Cleveland game. And Melo is definitely a part of it on the offensive side. I know we spent a lot of time on that in the previous pod, but I'm sure, Pete, that when you saw that lineup news come out, that was something that that put a smile on your face. And and I think that they they paid it off in part because the guys that were on the floor really played hard. And that starts with LeBron uh, on the defensive side of the court early. And, And I thought that was a big reason why that group looked pretty good. Yeah, Mike, I thought that the first half of the of this first Rockets game, that was the best defense over a stretch of period, multiple shifts that I think LeBron has played all season, particularly in a first half. And I don't know if that's coincidental, Pete, to playing in a small lineup where the asks are different from him. And uh, there's a more of an engagement ask from from him, I think. And there's and hey, you got to be more of a big guy and you have to protect the rim some. And now you have to make this rotation and that rotation. Mm -hmm. And there's more of an ask. And I honestly think that it'll show up on tape even more if he's being lazy in a small lineup. Talk to me more about like where your head is at around like some of the encouraging things. Was it lineup based? Was it defense based? Or was it different stuff entirely? It's, it's all of the above. So the lineup thing, this has never been something that I'm super adamant about, right? And you guys know how adamant I've been like, we got to go small. We got to play AD at the five. And I think that from what we've seen so far this season, it's like it's our natural configuration. It's our natural shape. And that's different than playing the two bigs. It's not like, you know, Austin Reeves or Malik Monk or Kent, Kent Bazemore. Like it, a lot of interchangeability, Kendrick Nunn, THT, all the other positions. But the way you approach the five position with this roster in particular, with Russell Westbrook in particular, it's very sensitive to that. And it's very like you can see that the smaller lineup is more their natural shape. Now, it's funny because Bradley, I, I brought him up a few pods ago when we were talking about like, you know, potential options and alternatives. He would not necessarily be my choice long term, nor I, I don't know if that's, you know, 
long-term going to be the case with THT and, and Trevor and all that. But I do think he operates as a bit of a, a placeholder where I can understand why Frank went big to start out, but you're still putting the team in an unnatural shape. That word keeps coming to my mind, D, that idea of the shape of the team, the configuration of the lineups, that ability to space out. That was the Cleveland game, what I was so excited about. The end of that game, which kind of was the impetus for the lineup change in the next game, you know, Avery Bradley was a plus 30 in those groups. Part of that is that ability to just stretch teams out. Cleveland is a bigger team. They start a big front line. And we ran eight LeBron AD ball screens down the stretch of that game. And scored 17 points over two points per possession we scored on all but one play where LeBron just kind of flubbed it uh, on a ball handling thing and coughed it up but they had no answer for that D and then seeing defensively the encouraging uh, signs in the Houston game again that's a team that's not a good team they're not an organized team we're we're the type of team that's going to be beat by precision teams that can move the ball around that can you know, exploit mistakes that we make. Houston is not organized organized enough to do that. So it's like, like the first like the first two games, right? With Golden State and Phoenix, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Those are t- those are teams exactly. They're very precise in their offense, Mike, and that, that idea that they can do that. But it's kinda like, you know, you turn on two K and maybe as you're learning you put it on rookie to start out. And and so seeing our defensive rotations was something I was encouraged by even while considering that, you know, the team we weren't playing we were playing was not particularly precise. I thought that it's way more about us at this point, and I think Vogel would would echo that that sentiment. I thought Bradley was an interesting choice because he fits the mold of what Vogel wants from a defensive perspective. Yeah, it's like a marriage of Vogel's philosophy and kind of like the natural state of this team. Yes, and I think if Vogel's going to go small, it's not going to be for, like, with LeBron James available, right? I don't think it's going to be for Malik Monk. That's right. I don't think it's or even Carmelo Anthony, Mm -hmm. for that matter. Set the defensive tone, right? There's something to be said, even if that's not your best five while going small, just like saying we're going to defend, we're going to get up in you. That's what Avery Bradley does. It's very interesting, right? Because we've talked a lot about like this isn't the 2020 team, the team that won the championship. And I think that that's right. What I will say, though, is that. You cannot blame Frank Vogel for trying to recapture some of that because that's what he won with. Mm -hmm. There's adaptability, but there's also just like, okay, well, if you're a pastry chef, right, you're not going to and you're in a cooking competition. You're not going to say, give me the ribeye. Right. right. And, and you do let's you go do. to town on that. Like you do <laughs> yeah. what you do. Yeah. So he's going to look at these ingredients that he has and he's going to say, OK, well, let's let's find the meeting of the minds here. Right. Are we better off playing small? Maybe we've seen some good things playing small. But if we're going to play small, we need these things on the floor. And right now, Bradley is probably the best approximation of all of those things that Frank, that this, that this head coach wants, right? He is comfortable handling the ball a little bit. He is more than, he has a defensive first mindset. How effective he's going to be in that, I think is going to vary based off of the matchups. Matchup. Like, mm-hmm. He ate Jalen Green up because mm-hmm. Green is a rookie. He's not very physical. He got into him, knocked him off of his spots and was just like, oh yeah, all that shake, that shake don't work when we're in a phone booth. And that's what Avery Bradley <laughs> did to, to Jalen Green. Yeah. 
and poked the ball away from him a couple times, like really got into his handle and was just like, yeah, you're not going to go around me with no space. Bradley turned it into a slugfest on the interior. And And he's going to win that every time. And and, and he's going to win that. He's a strong, physical point of attack guard. And so I thought Vogel saying, okay, well, Bradley, you can shoot the threesome. You're a good off-ball cutter. You're smart in terms of how to set screens. Like Avery Bradley is a pro's pro. On, on offense, and he is a get-after-you guy defensively. And, Mike, I thought that in the absence of a Trevor Ariza type, who I think is like sort of a forward version of Avery Bradley, right? Like in the, in, in the absence of Ariza, who is the A, veteran guy who you can sell to the rest of the locker room as, hey, DeAndre Jordan, we're not sitting you for Austin Reeves, right? A rookie. We're not sitting you for Malik Monk, who's a fourth year player. We're sitting you for Avery Bradley. This dude is a veteran. He's a championship level player. Like, so I think that there's some like playing politics there a little bit. And I think there's a skill set fit. And so right in the middle of the Venn diagram, Avery Bradley fit. And I thought that's all of that combined for him to be the choice here, whether or not he's the choice long-term remains to be seen. But Vogel wants that presence defensively, I think, in his backcourt. I think he wants that. And Bradley, if he keeps playing well and the lineups keep performing well, he might he might stick a little bit. Yeah, so there's a couple things here. First of all, with Bradley, it is helpful that he's shooting, what, 43% almost from three so far this season. So if he's if he's making his threes, then he's uh, his value just goes up exponentially because you don't think of him in the same light as a shooter, as an Ellington um, or as a monk or even a, a nun. But if those are going down, which they, by the way, they were doing for a decent portion of his previous stint with the Lakers, that's important. And then I think of DJ from kind of what you were saying, Darius, about the how do you sell it in the locker room? So he comes off the bench. And plays really well. Four for four from the field. Mm-hmm. He's throwing down some dunks. He's got a couple of blocks, right? He's His energy was the same. And I think that part of the way I asked him after the game, his role stays the same. Like he's going to play the same way if he's starting or if he's off the bench. So that I think for him, it's not that much of a departure um, as, as long as he can look forward to having some of those minutes some of the time. So he plays well. He wasn't like bummed after the game. Like, I can't believe I got benched. You know, this sucks like so that that I think is something that can be sold. But I want to clarify probably my own thought on this and in the context of everything. And let's remember that Vogel did go small a lot and have basically the same defensive philosophy in wanting to have guards like Bradley, who started the year, pressure on the perimeter and push those guys into the help, whether that was with two bigs or whether that was with AD at the five. And so that's still what he wants. It's not like that much of a departure for Vogel uh, to ha- to have you know defensive guys on the perimeter really pressuring the ball and then uh, you know sh- funneling that into the help. I think that the help hasn't been that great um, in in a lot of the previous games so far for various reasons. Yeah, I, I mean. All of that, though, is why it's a good marriage between the two things is that we need we need the team and Vogel to be their philosophies to kind of meet in the middle in a few places. And Avery Bradley is a great representation of that. I thought the fact that we signed him in the first place, obviously, with the injury issues that that we've had, it was necessary to bring on someone like him. But him specifically being brought aboard is like he knows what he's doing within Vogel's system. Vogel loves ball pressure guards, right? That's something that uh, 
Alex made a comment in a Chicago Bulls practice about that was the only thing we could ever do is fight over screens in Vogel system. That's what I've been doing for the last three years. Avery Bradley can do that. There's some other things. And that's one of the things of this idea of finding gold, which is the, you know, the topic of this podcast. One of the things with that is that there are going to be with so many vet minimum players, circumstances where a guy is very much appropriate and circumstances where they're very much not. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss a little more of that. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. So Darius, we're seeing this uh, beginning of the season for Carmelo Anthony. He's shooting 52% from the field. Mike brought up Avery Bradley's three-point shooting percentage, shooting 43%. And in both cases, it's like, eh, it's not going to stay that high. And if he can shoot that well, that'd be great. But I would argue to some degree, this is kind of shooter paradise with all of the pressure on the rim that Russ and LeBron, they just create so many great shots like that. And so that is an example of that idea I was talking about before the break of like, this guy might not be appropriate in eight out of 10 circumstances or nine out of 10 different teams with their roster and their build. But I'm seeing certain things with Melo being probably the most glaring of like, he's an example of that. Like this is that one out of 10 where it's, it's, and that's maybe that's not even fair, but it, we have the capacity to kind of accentuate the best of him. And I think that's true of a lot of our role players. So let's put Melo to the side for a second, because I want to really dig into Melo because I actually think he may end up being super critical from an offensive perspective, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And just that that idea of a strong marriage between player skill set and how that functions within the context of of this specific team. So let's put him to the side for a second, because I actually want to look at a guy like, I want to continue this point really quickly on a guy like Bradley, on a guy like Monk, a guy like Bazemore and Reeves. 
right? And I had, I had told you guys this in our text thread, but this game, the last couple of games have felt more like Vogel finding his stride with this specific team yes. within the context of yes. interchangeability with players. And Vogel for, and it, it's, it's interesting because sometimes I feel like there's a certain segment of the fan base where there's a dissonance that exists around Vogel and his idea around lineups. And there is this real strong sense that Vogel sort of doesn't know what he's doing around lineups. And I think th the things that get highlighted are the playing big all of the time and there's Russ and you can't play two bigs and but Russ and Rondo. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a phenomenon or this is an idea that I think has been present previously over the last two years under Vogel and not just related to this season with with Russ and the idea of of uh, well, of playing big. And to me, Vogel is starting to find his stride a little bit on who are my guards and wings, which ones of those guys are fitting, which ones of those guys are playing well, and how can I substitute them, right? And so the other against, I think it was Cleveland, the lineup was Bradley, Bays, Mello, um, AD, and LeBron. And that team had been playing well. Russ, I think, had picked up his fourth foul or or he had gotten in foul trouble a little bit and it was part of his normal substitution pattern too he comes out at that point and then kind of comes back in around the four minute mark yeah he does but what was interesting to me was that that group was playing well and but you could tell Vogel was sort of just like eh, I'm gonna go back to Russ here what's going to be my choice and Remember, Bradley didn't start the Cavs game, but he ended up plus 30 for, for the night. And so I thought it was super interesting that Vogel went, and when he subbed in Russ, he took out Bazemore. He yeah. did not take out Bradley. And Bazemore's a starter. You would think he would have a little bit more pull or credibility or leverage in that moment and say, we're going to give this group a chance. Instead, though, he didn't. He, he took out Bays and he went to Bradley. And over the, the games over the weekend, in terms of that idea of finding gold, Mike, playing Reeves more, he went away from Monk in the Cavs game, but he went right back to him this, this next game against the Bulls, and he gave him multiple shifts to go out and, and try to make something happen. Now, Monk didn't play particularly well on offense. I, th I, I don't think he hit a shot. He was 0, 0 for 6, and he still had some defensive miscues. But Vogel, his, Vogel went back to him, and that idea of, no, 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 we, like I'm figuring it out some with these guys, and who can I lean on, who who can I trust? And that comfortability of, no, like, you're out. I'm going to the next guy now. That was a hallmark to me of, of when Vogel is really humming as a coach. He makes those decisions really well, and they end up in winning basketball games. And if there's a, again, that idea of what's working and what's not, I think Vogel's starting to get his finger on the pulse of this team because He's been coaching this version of the team now for a few weeks now, and I feel like it's starting to pick up for him. Well, I think the, the version of questioning Vogel in lineups and all that kind of stuff really started with the Rondo and eventually Caruso got brought up into it, but really with the Rondo stuff. And all three of us were guilty. 
of that. Uh, and I, I certainly like I've, I've mentioned that many times. That was like one of the biggest L's uh, that I'm happy to hold and that Vogel just happened to be right. And I think a lot about a lot about this is they are he is thinking several steps ahead um, of what we're watching in the course of a given game. Sometimes it, it I, the 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 thing that I think about is like Kobe would take shots in the regular season that weren't great shots, but he knew were going to be some of the shots available to him in the postseason, and his field goal percentage would suffer some. But he was figuring it out, and I think that that's Vogel's got his philosophy. But then he's gonna he's gonna use stuff that he thinks is going to be needed, whether it's for system or for chemistry, right, or something something in the locker room that we're not seeing. And so I now, especially after the Rondo thing, am am very hesitant to really go over the top and questioning what a what a rotation thing is, unless he unless it's something that comes up all the time in the press conferences and just seems like it doesn't make sense. But so that that all ties back into this point here, um, into where I thought he was eventually going to be able to get to with the roster, and and I I just think that the, that that really that Rondo stuff should have swayed us to recognize that he knows what he's doing. I mean, I think that's partially true, but our point was Alex Caruso is really good and he should play. And we were right about that, right? Like the what we were wrong about was that Rondo couldn't summon it when he needed to. And so like I I agree to some to some degree, but that idea of Vogel being in the process of figuring things out and thinking things ahead, I'd say he has more to figure out this year. The yeah. team that we gave him two seasons ago, like ball pressure guards that are low usage and a, a starting five in JaVale that's going to jump at everything and going to be activity, activity, activity. Like, that's right in Vogel's wheelhouse. wheelhouse. This roster is not. This roster is not, like, right in what he does well. And so that idea of him figuring things out and starting... It might be if Ariza and THT were healthy. It, uh, and if none yeah, were healthy, no, I, it'd be closer, certainly. I, I don't think so, I, because I think Russ is such a fundamentally different ingredient. Russ is a super high usage guard whose who's jump sh- shooting is the weakest part of his game. And like so that a whole idea of, again, why I'm so adamant about spacing the floor with this particular group is because of that. And so there's just more to resolve. I've been talking about like a dissonance, right, between Vogel's philosophies and the the roster. And we're seeing that come together more. D, that idea of Bazemore and Bradley, I want to zero in on those two players in particular, because I think that it speaks to a, a really important it, something really important from Vogel's perspective. And that's the idea of reliability. Yeah. We've talked a bit about Bazemore and him as this agent of chaos where he's going to go in and he's going to fuck shit up. And it might be for you, right? Like it might be on your team. But yeah. ideally, you you kind of set that for the other team and he can do that effectively. And he shot the ball well, too. Avery Bradley, you know what he's going to do. He's going to get beat by certain players. And as we said, that idea of him matching up well against some teams and not well against others, that's going to be true all season and true of a lot of our players. But when you know what your player's going to do, specifically on the defensive end, specifically if you're Frank Vogel, that's a starting place. Like Avery Bradley's going to fight on screens, fight over screens. He's going to get belly up on a guy on the perimeter, and maybe he gets beat off of the dribble. And that's But you can account for that when you know what your defender, especially at that front line, is going to do. It's almost like his style of defense is almost the equivalent of an NFL defensive lineman, where... Maybe he's not going to get the tackle or he's not going to get the stop, but he can kind of plug things up a little bit and it causes a chain reaction. Well, I would actually call him more of a press corner. 
Pete. Like he is a guy that I is just that. like, yeah. like, all right, well, we're going to protect you a little bit with safety help over, over the top. Right. But you're going to press this dude and you're going to stay in his mug all game. Yeah. And if he gets by you over the top, because you missed on your jam, then the safety is going to be there for you. But anything 10 yards and under, like you're eating there, right? Because you are in this dude's grill and we're going to adjust our defense based off of you being able to play this specific style. And it's one of the reasons why Bradley ended up starting for the Lakers, I think, because that idea of, I'm saying, in the championship season Mm -hmm. yes because the idea of well we want to funnel we want to play pressure and this dude is the best we have on the roster at playing this style we want to funnel these guys to the bigs we want to get them off of the three-point line bradley's going to do it he's going to do it with with ball pressure and that idea of 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 really wearing down the other team, I think was a was a pillar of of how that roster was constructed in order to win long term. And Bradley represented that. And getting back to your idea about Bazemore, he is less predictable than Bradley. And like we've seen some really good Bazemore, and we've seen some like sort of loud mistakes from from him, like that reach in on Jaw in the Grizzlies game on that final, on that last second attempt from, from three, where it's just like, what are you doing, bro? Like, like, come on. But the shooting has been so like, he's been better at that than what I, even what I hoped he might be like, Oh, look at Bayes with the pull up jumper at the elbow. Like, Oh, look at that three It's it's to the point now where I'm not saying I expect it to go in every, every, every single time, but I'm not surprised when, when these corner threes go in. So I'll be interested to see how things shake out with Bazemore and Bradley specifically, because there are reinforcements coming eventually and what the lineup looks like in the end. I'm not sure where vocals choices are going to lie with that. You can loop the way that you think about Bazemore with the way that you think about Westbrook to me in one sense. And then you could put Bradley and Austin Reeves and even LeBron in the other category as you know that Reeves and Bradley, they're for the most part not going to do things that you don't want them to be doing. So you're not going to see some crazy foray into the paint from Bradley where he's trying to cross somebody over. And then eventually Bazemore might do that sometimes, but when he doesn't, he can be really, really effective when he's just shooting the corner threes and defending and getting up and down in transition. But you're living with the couple moments of game that are going to come because that's what gets him to play like he does. And Russ is the ultimate example of that, where you're going to live with a couple of pull-up jumpers you don't like, a couple of bad turnovers, a couple of defensive miscues, but he's going to pay that off with all of the other Russ stuff that he does. LeBron is just LeBron. Like If he's not doing something, it's because of something that he is deciding not to do for whatever reason. Uh, in his brain and sure there's the occasional turnover but like the 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 ridiculous pass that he tried to make uh when he had green isolated and he bounced it behind his back like it didn't quite work out but that's not one of those plays i'm like dude what like what are you doing maybe his his teammate didn't quite recognize it the same way so i do think that those are vogel to bring him back into this one is gonna then there are some times where he might favor somebody over baysmore because of that uncertainty but he's still He's still like a Vogel guy. He's just not the peak 
type that's right. guy where he can yeah he's missing that reliability but that volatility is there's value in that too that you've got to kind of wrangle it in and i completely agree mike that idea of russ being in this category of they are those ball hawking free safeties if we're going to keep the nfl type of analogy where they can jump passing lanes one of the things i was encouraged about in the houston game was not just our defense but i thought the style of defense forcing a lot of turnovers is us in our idealized best version of us defensively. Houston certainly contributed to that and their lack of precision. But we did this, we've done this a couple of times to higher end teams in small spurts where we're just so athletic and so rangy and able to cover a lot of distance that we're forcing a lot of loose balls, D. And that's really right at the core of your argument of if we want to be this running team that we're talking yep. about, we got to do that. And so it's different than being this conservative defense that like Utah with Gobert is the, the, the pinnacle of this to me this we're going to lay back and protect the paint and let you come to us but we're going to protect the and really a lot of Vogel's defenses have been this protect the rim style I think we're more of a scrambling turnover forcing style and so that Houston game kind of spoke to that idea of and we're going to give up some layups as a, as a result of that we'll give up some open threes as a result of going after the ball but that forcing 25 turnovers I think is the what we're going for ultimately yeah, and I think that Vogel's going to strike the right balance there in the end. I just trust him to figure things out defensively. He is a great defensive thinker, and he is a great defensive schemer, I think, as well. And he will adjust. He has talked about adjusting, but I think that he will adjust. Like, there wasn't a—think of the run to the championship, and think of the different types of teams— the Lakers played in order to win. Portland did not look like Houston. Houston did not look like Denver. Denver. Houston and Denver did not look like Portland. Right? And you could throw and Miami, Miami to that too. Mm-hmm. And then Miami looked like none of those teams either. That's right? right. And Vogel came up with really good defensive game plans every step of the way in order to get those teams out of rhythm. You know what he did, though, in all of those was he always started the way he wanted to start, starting big. Right? We always complain about the game ones of playoff series, yeah. right? And part of that is, like, why do you have JaVale and two bigs against this microball Houston team? And we lose game one, we go small in game two. But the fact that Vogel always starts a certain way, I think you could that speaks to this season, right? And that idea yeah. of this is our starting point. Well, there's always a this is the idea of what I have about what our strengths are. Come and beat us, right? Like, I'm sorry, but if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and and Russell Westbrook, just from a talent standpoint, and you say, this is what I think is going to work for this team, you're going, then roll that out there and see if the other team can do something about it. And that's why, this is one of the reasons why I'm appreciative of Frank Vogel is because over time, he will say, no, 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 no. He came from the, like, <laughs> Harrison will clip this, but he came from the film room. Frank Vogel did, right? And so he understands the idea of, no, we need to change something here because this isn't working. Like, there, there is an inherent adaptability that comes from someone who all they do is study tape, right? Because you're always looking for the solution. Right, you're not- and the truth's right in front of you. Yeah. Yes. And I just want to mention something... All with we've had so much discussion about lineups and Vogel and all this kind of stuff. 
One of the things that really helped, aside from you know Houston being bad and turning the ball over a million times and having their one, two, three, and four all as like ISO guys, all one guys, it just doesn't make sense. But Russell Westbrook only turned the ball over twice. So when Russ isn't pushing the issue and forcing things, and and, and part of the reason, guess what? Because LeBron was on the court. And so Russ is happy to cede control and certain amounts of possessions to LeBron James. And so that balance, when those who were on the court, seems to be like that makes up for a lot more than all of the schemes and the way the system that they could do. If you just let LeBron dictate the majority of the things that you're doing and use Russ as an attack player. And I know it's not that simple, but I just think that it's important to recognize that we talk so much about Russ and his fit. But if he's if he's that third guy in that sense, then then we're home That's in right. a lot of ways, uh, regardless of what the system is. So I, no, I just ideally, he's there. not the guy running your half-court offense, but he is your guy that's running the transition attack. Like, part of... There's, there's an idea that Russ needs to be more under control, and certainly that's the case uh, uh, to... To a certain frequency, we also have to run with him. There's this play in Oklahoma City, part of his, uh, you know, uh, his quadruple double where he had 10 turnovers was one of the things that he does is he's going to attack and will drive right into four guys in the middle of the paint. And he does this a couple times a game. Full well knowing he's not looking to get a shot up, but he's just looking to collapse the defense and he'll throw the ball behind him right toward the top of the key, knowing all the defenders are sucked in toward me. I'm just going to throw the ball out. I, I'm going to find some passing lane. And I know one of my guys will be there. I know the general spots on the floor where guys are supposed to be. One of his turnovers in the OKC game was because DeAndre Jordan had not crossed half court when that happened. So he threw it to the top of the key and it would have been a safe possession, but there was just not the running aspect. And so just to add, as that game started to shift, right? And right. All of the stuff about Russ was awesome to start at the energy, getting to the basket, throwing dude oop, dudes oops. And then when it started to kind of get over that the line where you weren't quite sure, LeBron wasn't there. Yes. To settle things Th- back the other way. And in AD, in AD, you know, there's an extent to which he can do it, but not really as a big and not really as an initiator. Uh, Rondo at this point is not going to be able to just turn a game around. I, he can do it once in a while, but that is to me where that really played out. So obviously, if LeBron's in that game, I think the Lakers win by 25 and coast to it. And instead, they lost. Like it, it, it's that much of a difference when you don't have LeBron to. Sure, I think we in. probably win by 10, still giving up a 15-0 run at some point. There's no worse team in the NBA D than the Lakers when we're up by 25. But ultimately, that idea, yeah, probably fair. Probably <laughs> but fair. Probably ultimately, fair. Yeah. like Russ is responsible for our transition attack, and I see a certain degree of obligation from the other guy. Like, let's run with Russ. He's going to get us free points if you just run with him. And so, in that, uh, in I. It was either the Cleveland game or the Houston game. Russ did that, and he threw it out, and, but it was Carmelo Anthony who tracked it down and just walked into a nice little pull-up jumper that Carmelo Anthony has hit tens of thousands of times in his life that that is the sort of difference that, like, we got to run with him. We got to and, – and then when it turns into that half-court game, you turn it over to LeBron. I think that's our ideal mix. Yeah, there is, there's a certain amount of two quarterbacks with, with this team, and there's – not a lot of success in the history of the of of the NFL where you have two different core quarterbacks, right? But one of the teams that could do do that was your old school team, Pete, those San Francisco Forward 49ers, right? And mm-hmm. there is a little bit of a if LeBron is Joe Montana, then Russell Westbrook just might be in an ideal world, they're Steve Young, 
right? Like the dude who is a chaos agent, the guy who is going to scramble around for 10 or 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage and be like, oh shit, where's, where's this going? Right. And then suddenly he gets a block here. He gets a block there and he's in the open court or in the open field. If uh, you're talking about young and he's scampering down the sideline now for a 40 yard yard gain. And so there is going to be a little bit of, can they find the right balance and can they find the right your turn, my turn within the context of a flow sport that isn't so much supposed to be your turn, my turn. Right. And and that right balance is going to take time. And that's why I do think they do talk about patience. And there is going to be a certain amount of refinement, though. Right. Where look, guys, we can't turn the ball over. And look, guys, we do need you to play defense this this whole time. Because if you have ball security and you're competing defensively, then this head coach is probably going to get a, let a lot of other stuff go for y'all, as long as you're giving him those two things. It's so fascinating to see where these things are coming together and finding the little flecks of gold on, on this roster to build off of. Tomorrow we'll be back to cover uh, the general NBA. We'll take a look around the league. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires again. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.